Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning. Good morning. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. So uh, Mike is on the text line this morning. Um, By the way, you can text me anything during the show. 877-933-2484. Good morning, Mike. Mike says, uh, I I said thanks for being here because he sent me a little thumbs up. And he said, uh, I'm always here driving my truck listening to Carmen. It couldn't be better. He's going to retire in six years. So he's asking me to commit to not retire from radio until at least then. So there you go. Mike, good morning. I'm wondering if you've ever been to this um, apparently biggest biggest truck stop in the whole world in Iowa. That's what I have in my mind this morning, Mike. I would like a report on that um, uh, because I love truckers. And I was thinking that if I ever wanted to make a stand, it should be at that giant Iowa truck stop because I feel like from there you could really have a national influence. If you could influence the guys that are stopping, is it Interstate 80? Is it, Ryan, do you have any idea what I'm talking about? I could really, I really wish, get, I wish I knew, and I if Paul were here, he'd probably know. <laughs> I feel like the research department, which doesn't exist, should get on this. But all right, so I think there's this, there's this Interstate 80 truck stop in Iowa, and it's arguably the largest truck stop in the whole world. And um, although Bucky's, which is now down in Texas and, and growing across the southeast, they're pretty big as well. So I don't know. Um, so let me know if you have input on the if you know about this big truck stop in Iowa. Um, maybe it's yeah, maybe it, it's I think it's on I-80. Anyway, give me some feedback on that. Someone's listening knows something about that. 877-933-2484. And do you think that from there you know, we could probably make a stand, like, right? We could probably influence the world from the biggest truck stop in, in, in all of Iowa. Oh, yeah, lots of input. Lots of people apparently know something about this. So here we go. Um, yes, uh, it might be I-90. Aha, uh-huh. I-80, yes. J- John says I-80. Mike says, uh, oh, he only drives locally in Duluth. Well, good for the people of Duluth that they've got Mike. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, so if you know, it's apparently on I-80. So says John. Thanks, John. Kim, not on I-90, apparently. All right, that's what I got for you. Um, Authorities across Europe spent the weekend battling huge wildfires. Spain, Greece, France, hundreds of deaths being blamed on soaring temperatures. Um, And so we want to be praying for for folks. Apparently, a thousand deaths in Portugal alone. Um, attributed to uh, rising temperatures there. Remember, people in in uh, in these parts of the world, they don't have air conditioning, and so there's really no way for people to lower their body temperature once um, once these temp- these historic temperatures have risen, you know, above 100 degrees. And so it's going to be, you know, apparently 104 today in in England. Across Africa, we have um, communities across the Horn of Africa facing the threat, uh, rising threat of starvation. Uh, following four consecutive failed rainy seasons. 
um, Ethiopia, Kenya, Somalia um, lead that list. We're talking about 20 million people by September um, uh, facing severe levels of or what, what the uh, what the government calls acute food insecurity, rising malnutrition. Um, so when you think that, you know, issues related to the cost of eggs is bad here in the United States, um, let's take a deep breath and let's recognize that people literally can't feed their children in other places around the world. And I know, I know that not everyone here in the United States has all the food they might like to have, um, but food is available here um, and we can help people gain access to it. In other places, food is literally not available. So um, let's be let's be on the prayer front this, this morning related to that. And let me say this. You're going to hear lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of news headlines related to the heat. All right. They're going to be talking about how hot it is here in the United States. Um, triple digit forecast this week um, in, in all kinds of places across the central U.S. and across Europe. Um, and you're going to hear someone at some point say it's hotter than hell out there, which means you have an open invitation to ask hell. Do you believe in hell? How hot do you think it's going to be there? Yeah, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for each and every one of you who have texted in to let me know about the I-80 truck stop in Walcott. Walcott? This is apparently uh, the place that we need to make a plan to visit. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The I-80 truck stop in Walcott, Iowa. I know. I love I love you. I love you all for um, joining me in this big adventure, and especially for those of you <laughs> sending me links to their website, and many, many other things this morning. You can text me anytime during the show, 877-933-2484. Joining us now, Dr. Linda Mental from the Dr. Linda Mental Show. You can find her at drlindamental.com, and from there, all her socials, and on and on and on. Linda, good morning. Good morning. I, I have to say, I've been on I-80. I'm not sure I remember that truck stop, though. So okay, it's a, now I'm going to go back and the... think if I've ever been there. It's the biggest one in the world. This Incredible. is all this is yeah. all I know. And I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like if somebody were going to go to Iowa and make themselves known, make themselves known, that would be a good place to do it. Because then from there, I mean, you can you can reach the world because truckers are, right. you know, right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Breaker, breaker, one nine and all that good stuff. OK. Um, <laughs> texting our friends when God brings someone to mind. Uh, it is actually important to reach out to them, maybe more important than we think, these casual contacts. Can you talk about the importance of making casual reconnections with people? Well, I just did it uh, yesterday, and I was not thinking about that we were going to talk about this topic, but I, I do do this on a regular basis. I do try to run through maybe my top five really close friends. And I don't live by most of them anymore because I made a recent move. 
So I do try to make an effort, uh, you know, now I wouldn't say every week, but on a regular basis to either call, to text, to email, or really the brief call is the thing that I, I find and is, is really helpful. And then what's interesting is that when you, you do a brief call, sometimes that ends up to be quite a conversation and you really get caught up. And what's notable about that is that not only do they appreciate it and stay connected, but it does a lot for the person who's reaching out as well. You know, it's interesting, Carmen, when the pandemic first hit, uh, I was I had ordered a book by Vivek Murthy, who was our former Surgeon General, and he had just written a book called Together. When he was the Surgeon General, he went around the country talking to people about public health crises and he expected to find things like, you know, there were all kinds of issues with heart disease and diabetes and maybe cancer. And what he found really surprised him and was the impetus for this book. He said that there's a public health crisis of loneliness and that people are not connected. People were feeling very lonely. And obviously the pandemic didn't help that for the people who were feeling lonely. So when we think about the loneliness crisis that we have among young people, old people, middle-aged people, I mean, it really, it does not matter your age in this, in this case. We do need to start thinking, what can we do? How can we reach out to other people to prevent that type of loneliness, but also to enhance our relationships and begin to make those connections that are going to help us? And if we do that, it really is a way to protect your mental health as well as your relationship health. So um, when you reach out, um, I mean, I, I feel comfortable saying to people, hey, the Lord brought you to mind and I just wanted to reach out, let you know I lifted you up in prayer, um, you know, love you, this is Carmen. Because I don't really, I'm not always, Linda, looking for like a long extended engagement. Um, so can you talk with me about sort of different approaches maybe to um, lifting people up, but maybe not encumbering my whole day. Is that terrible? Does that sound selfish? <laughs> well, I, no, I know what you're saying. And, and a lot of times a brief text will do it and people will like it or they'll just send back a note saying thanks or appreciate you. Even small things like that. It's interesting. I, 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 did a, I looked at this research by Google. Google uh, was trying to figure out how to help their climate of their company at one point. And one of the things that they suggested, uh, by what consultant actually suggested this, was that Google employees in the morning send a text or a, a really short email to somebody telling them that they were grateful for them or they appreciated them. And they found that just by doing that, it really improved the culture of the organization. So it doesn't have to be something long and drawn out. Now, I like to talk to people. I like to catch up. I try to do it in the evening when I've got a little bit more time. But if you're busy with children and all kinds of you know, dinner and everything, getting people to bed, it's, it's much more difficult. But I think those brief moments... And it's, it's really interesting because your your producer, Paul, had sent me this article that was had, had a couple of interesting things in it. One of them was uh, he, there was some research that said we're hardwired to think uh, our friends won't be as open to this as, as we think they might be. And there was a, a note in there that said there's something called the liking gap where we underestimate how much we might be liked by another person. So if you think about that, there may be some hesitation on reaching out because you wonder 
And will they think this is silly? Will they not want to talk to me? Maybe I'm overestimating my friendship. I think we just really overthink that when we when we look at that research. And then the other one that I thought was interesting was uh, an effect they called the beautiful mess effect. And that is this fear that a lot of people have that when we're vulnerable and we take a step like that, that we're worried about being judged. And I'm going to guess that that is really increased because of social media, because yeah, we are judged a lot of time on social mm-hmm. media when we reach out. So I think sometimes there's fear to do this. And maybe even what you're suggesting, you know, that, oh, my goodness, if I just say hi to somebody or I say I'm thinking of you or the Lord brought me to mind, it's going to end up in this long conversation. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that is typical. Mostly what happens is people are appreciative. They thank you. And you can say, I only have a few minutes. I just, you know, running into a meeting or uh, have to go do an errand, but I just wanted to let you know I was thinking about you. And all of that research that I looked at says people ex- ex- appreciate this so much. And it has such a good effect on not only the person doing it, but on the person receiving it even more than we think. So I don't Amen. think, you know, we need to be run by our fear because it's it's really not based in what happens in terms of the outcomes. Ruby is 93 years old. Um, her ministry is calling family, friends, pastors, and anyone God puts on her mind. It's a blessing for her and for those that she calls. That is uh, from um, I think from Lydia, and I think Ruby is Lydia's mom. So what a what a blessing this morning. We're talking with Dr. Linda Mental. You can find her at drlindamental.com. Next up, I'm going to ask her about maybe helping our kids get ready mental health-wise before they head off to college. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here, and we all need prayer. And, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com and then be assured of our prayers for you in the spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. We're talking with Dr. Linda Mental. We love to talk with Linda about... um, mental health, the Christian experience of um, bringing the mind of Christ to bear um, on the things that we're feeling and on our relationships. And so, Linda, I'm wondering, as we are um, approaching the time of the year, I mean, a back-to-school sales have started. I've already gotten the email list of school supplies, um, you know, here from my local school district. um, There's a there's a giveaway this Saturday at parks across the country for people who can't afford school supplies. And so, you know, tick tock, tick tock, uh, there are going to be kids headed off to college. Can you talk with us a little bit about encouraging our young people to be prepared mentally in terms of their mental health before they go to college? Well, I th- yeah, I'd love to because I, I really have a heart for college kids. I've been working in universities for years and years and years and teaching medical students. And 
uh, those students who are coming into both undergrad and graduate school. And I tell you, the, the statistics for mental health are a bit frightening when you just look at the statistics because we're seeing about one in three students who come have a lot of sadness and hopelessness when they enter college, and then it doesn't seem to get a whole lot better when they're there unless they're getting the right type of help and they're prepared. And so I'm really glad you brought this up. First of all, pray, 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 pray for your your young person going off to college because it is a battle. It's one of the reasons, Carmen, I'm so I'm so in favor of Christian colleges because this is the time in the development of a young person between 18 and 22 where their identity is really getting solidified and is still forming and they are very influenced by the the peers around them. When when I took my son to uh, a Christian college, and I was a bit of a tyrant, both my husband and I, we said, you can pick any college, it just has to be a Christian college. And uh, and they were okay with that, um, but it, I, I, just, I just am very aware of what influences are in the college system. And so one of the things that, that happened when I took our son, Matt, whose birthday is today, by the way, um, I took I him. To, we took him to college, and yeah. And one of the the people who was doing the the college, you know, prepping for the parents, said that if your student gets involved in a Christian organization within 72 hours of arriving on a campus, they have a much better chance of sustaining their faith. And I I just remember that thinking within 72 hours. And so one of the things that I would do if I was a parent sending a college uh, person out, especially to a secular college, is I would make sure that they were aware of organizations like Crew and Chi Alpha and Reform University Fellowship and InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And I would make contact, get the student to make contact with them immediately when they get on the campus. The kids that I know from my children's friends who stayed true to their faith did that in their secular campuses. And they would do things like go out for dinner once a, once a week on Friday nights and fellowship with each other and hold each other accountable and encourage each other in their faith and actually be the voices around each other that were talking about faith and how it influences uh, their everyday life at the college campus. Because if you don't find a group like that, you're going to be very influenced by people who are not sharing your faith or values. And in many institutions, faith is under attack and you are you are um, questioned constantly about your faith. So I think that's that's really the biggest thing. Then in terms of their mental health, make sure when you go to a college or university that you know where the the child knows where the counseling center is. They know how many free visits they get. They know that there's an on-call service. And it's probably really important for people to know this. It just happened on July 16th, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, which is known as SAMHSA, just released a national number for suicide prevention. And it's just 988. So just like 911, we now have a national suicide hotline that you just dial 988. And so I think it's good for our students to know that number, especially if they have a friend who's in trouble and they don't know what to do and they don't know how to contact anybody. But on every college campus and colleges are very aware and student wellness is one of their number one concerns. 
There are counseling services, on-call services, uh, group support, and they will connect that person with a counselor. And I would also encourage that if your student is going to college and they've had a really good relationship with a Christian therapist in their hometown, they may also want to ask that therapist if they could do telehealth with them and continue just to get the encouragement or what I call booster shots while they're at college just to keep them in a, in a really good place. So the real two big points I'm making is get connected early and make sure you show them and talk about those counseling services that are available. And then, of course, I don't know how much students actually listen to this, but lifestyle is really important to talk to them about. If you could give them one thing that will help them function well in their college experience, it would be to get sleep, to get eight hours mm-hmm. of sleep a night. Now, it's really hard when you're a college student, but that would make a huge difference. So eating well, sleeping, you know, budgeting things, making sure that you are taking care of your sexual health, uh, not being on screens all the time, all those lifestyle issues that can make college go better, those are all going to help as well. So those are good things for parents to talk about and to get everybody that you know praying for that person going off to college because it can be a very big spiritual battle place for young people to be at today. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I always think, you know, helping them find find a point of connection with a Christian ministry or a church that would be meaningful to them um, so that they can begin to develop those kinds of relationships because, you know, everybody has to be in a group. And so if we can help them find a group that's that's positive um, and encouraging in terms of the things of the faith, absolutely. Hey, and make sure that they've got the Faith Radio app downloaded on their phone there so you that, you know, they can they can connect with us as well. Dr. Linda Mental, as always, thank you so very much. You guys can connect with Linda at drlindamental.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. Let's take a break for Breakpoint. So we are called and commissioned as Christians to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing others in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them everything that Christ has commanded, um, teaching them to obey everything Christ has commanded, and acknowledging that Christ is present with us always by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, and and that this is headed somewhere. This is headed toward... Um, the reign of Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that the day will come when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so with all of that, um, uh, understanding that we as evangelical Christians are intended to introduce others to Jesus and to seek to have um, the the kingdom, uh, the principles and the characteristics, the ways of God, uh, and the kingdom of heaven employed here uh, on the kingdoms of the earth, in the midst of the kingdoms of the earth. How do we achieve that? This is going to be a, a how conversation. How do we achieve that? So when I say religious extremism, or when I uh, talk about political action or even political violence motivated by religious fundamentalism, does Christianity come to mind and the United States of America, or does Islamic jihad come to mind in other parts of the world. Because 
if we don't see the parallels between those who would use Christ to incite violence to, bl- to bring political change or political conformity in the United States of America today, if we don't see the parallels between that and those willing to use violence to advance Islamic causes in other places, then we're fa- failing to see reality. So we're going to talk about the religion of American greatness. It is going to be a conversation about Christian nationalism with Paul D. Miller. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. He put that hunger in your heart. Let me start by saying that uh, Paul D. Miller is uh, a patriotic Christian. He brings years of political experience and a deep commitment to uh, Christian understanding to this conversation that I know is going to be uncomfortable. His podcast is called Awkward Conversations, so he should be fully prepared for the awkward conversation we're going to have right now about his brand new book, The Religion of American Greatness, What's Wrong with Christian Nationalism? Paul, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for having me back on the show. So this is an awkward conversation um, because as Christians who are also American, many of us are very patriotic. And so we we enter into a conversation about what's wrong with Christian, Christian nationalism from a posture of defensiveness. So can you just get us started? Yeah, and I think that's absolutely true uh, that as I've had this conversation with others, I find that uh, many are a little bit wary of the term, and they think that it's criticizing any and all Christian involvement in politics, or it's criticizing patriotism. And and I don't intend to do that. In my book, I actually praise patriotism, uh, and I share my story. I'm a veteran of the armed forces, veteran of the war in Afghanistan, love America. I think patriotism is a, is a virtue. It's actually one of the best safeguards against the unhealthy kinds of nationalism. So that's where I'd start the conversation maybe hopefully to kind of set people at ease that I think it's good for Christians to be involved in politics and it's good for us to love our country. And there are some dangers that we need to be aware of um, in the kind of dangerous mixture of these two things. Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's unmask some of the dangers. And then let me assure everyone, um, what where Dr. Miller ultimately lands is a very hopeful um, future. This is not a dystopian conversation. This is ultimately a conversation about how we as American Christians can pursue each other and our neighbors in cultivating a shared American identity and shared aspirations for the future of the country. So that's where this conversation is headed. That's where the book goes. Um, and, um, and so let's, let's start with the dangers of, of Christian nationalism. And you might have to start with a definition. When we say yeah. Christian nationalism, what are we talking about? Yeah, so I think um, nationalism starts with this idea that you can look at the map of the world's cultures and draw that map like a checkerboard. There there are clear and hard and distinct boundary lines between different cultures, according to the nationalist. And once you've drawn that map, you simply assign every square on that checkerboard its own government. So there's a supposedly supposed to be a perfect overlap between political and cultural boundaries. Um, Every government governs its own cultural unit, and it has its own responsibility to preserve the cultural identity, 
of its people. That's, a, that's nationalism broadly. So American Christian nationalism starts by saying that we are a Christian nation. That's our, our cultural identity. Now, if you just say that as a historical observation, I can agree with that because Christianity has plainly been the most influential religion in our history. But the nationalist goes further and says, no, no, it's not just history. We have to keep being a Christian nation. Um, it's, it has to continue being part of our cultural identity. And we have to use the government to keep it that way. It's actually a purpose of public policy to sustain Christian predominance in the public square, to keep uh, Christianity as the ordering framework of our public life. We will stop being America if, if we lose that, if our culture changes too much. And in fact, we might, we might actually lose our democracy if we lose that cultural heritage. That I think is a good definition of Christian nationalism. I try to draw that from the advocates of Christian nationalism. So I'm not caricaturing the movement, but I think that is a good definition of, of what it is. All right. And then one of the things that you do is you develop this multidisciplinary critique of Christian nationalism. You don't just draw from, let's say, you know, what's happening now, but really from political theory, history, and even theology. So I'd love for you to um, expose a little of that. And then let me say to our listeners, we do have copies of Dr. Miller's book to give away today. So if you are interested in reading the Religion of American Greatness, and actually understanding what's wrong with Christian nationalism. Today's the day for you to text the word book to 877-933-2484. What's the approach you take in um, in critiquing Christian nationalism in this book? Well, part of it is uh, some you know political science and political theory. When I highlight that nationalism is simply impractical, when you look at efforts to kind of create nationalist governments around the world, you find that it's very impractical. Cultural boundaries are fuzzy and they overlap. The, the map of the world's cultures is not actually a checkerboard. It's more like a Venn diagram with overlapping circles. Uh, and that makes it very difficult to draw boundaries between cultures with any amount of precision or to make political and cultural boundaries overlap. And, and that means that nationalism is in tension with the ideals of the American founders, I think. And you, you, you find this by looking at a little bit of American history and the sort of the philosophy of the founders. The founders believed in, in something that I, I think I might characterize as, as free culture, right? You're allowed to be different and still be an American. But under nationalist governments, um, the government has to use some degree of coercion to try to engineer culture, to try to keep our culture a certain way, to orchestrate culture. I just don't think that's practical, and I don't think it's right either, because there's always going to be cultural dissidents or minorities, and nationalism treats them as second-class citizens, at least. It, it is, I think, inhospitable. In a sense, it's a lack of Christian charity to our fellow citizens to say that they're not real Americans if they don't share our preferred cultural identity. So that is one package of dangers with Christian nationalism. There's actually a whole other set, I should probably stop here for a breath, there's a whole other set of problems that are unique to, to the church and to Christians, but I'll, I'll kind of pause there, Carmen, and say, does that make sense, this first set of dangers? Yes, it does make sense, um, and that second set of dangers is going to be of particular interest to our listeners, because I think that for many Christians who are Americans, it's... Um, 
it's a pretty tightly woven uh, identity. And so helping us pull some of those threads far enough apart that we can see them is really helpful. Yeah. And, and this gets really difficult because, again, uh, you know, we, we can acknowledge the history here, that Christianity has always been influential in American history, often for good. And we can celebrate that. And I'm not at all condemning Christian involvement in politics. But I think it's important for us to recognize that uh, Christian nationalism, when you define America as a Christian nation and say the government has a responsibility to keep it that way, it starts to uh, send the wrong message about the purpose of the church and the relationship of the church and the state. Uh, It starts to feel as if the purpose of the church is to restore and entrench Christian predominance in society, as if the point of Christianity was to restore Christendom, so to speak, uh, a public ordering of society in which Christianity is in charge. Now, now I do think the gospel does have political implications, but I think our, our political activism should aim at equal justice for all, not at Christian power. And there's a, there's a subtle distinction there. It's about uh, Christian principles of justice for everyone, not Christian social power. A related danger is I think it it tends to sort of outsource the church's duties to the state. Uh, when we live in, you know, when we, if you if you kind of think as a Christian nationalist for a moment, you start to look at the state to enforce Christian values or Christian morality. And that that blurs the line and gets into the in this place of looking to the state to define what Christianity actually is and isn't when you live it out in action. And of course, we should recognize that's very dangerous to let the state do that. Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom to the apostles and to the church, not to Caesar. You know, Caesar is a very untrustworthy steward of the gospel. And I think the church needs to jealously guard its prerogative, its responsibility, its privilege to be the one and only uh, reflection of the glory of God and the preacher of Jesus's message. That's, that belongs to us, the church not to America, not to the nation, the state, or the government. And we need to keep that distinction very clear. And I think Christianity, Christian nationalism, blurs that distinction. I think that the uh, the loss of the identity of, of the church and the way that the church has undermined her own foundation in terms of the Word of God um, leaves leaves people who identify as Christians grasping at the only kind of power that the world... Um, celebrates and offers, which is political. And then we find ourselves, you know, standing with Christ, um, you know, and and pulling a sword out to, you know, slash about in the cultural context in which we currently find ourselves, which is the United States of America in 2022. And 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 he turns to us and he's like, put the sword away. Like, I, if I wanted to call down legions of uh, of angels, I could do it. I mean, do you not, do you really not get who I am and what I'm here to do? Um you know, there's a little bit of uh, of Jesus saying to Peter, this is a different context, but, you know, get behind me, Satan. Like, right. This yeah. is not this is not the kingdom I'm building. And this is um, so I, I think that's all really uh, helpful and clarifying. Um, we got to take a very brief break. We're going to continue our conversation with Paul David Miller. The book is The Religion of America. What's wrong with Christian nationalism? We are giving away copies today. If you'd like to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Professor Paul David Miller, you can find him at Paul David Miller. I'm going to make this part up. dot com. Am I right? Uh, yes, that's dot right. Com? All right, uh, Paul David Miller. dot com, um, or he's a great follow on Twitter as well. Paul D Miller two, the number two. Um, we're talking about his newest book, Religion uh, of American Greatness, and what's wrong with Christian nationalism. Uh, we are giving copies away today, so don't miss out on that opportunity. You know the drill. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, let's, spend, let's spend the last few minutes that we have talking about the positive vision that you cast. Um, how is it that I, as an American Christian, can pursue other Americans who are also Christian as my neighbors? And how can we together cultivate this like shared American identity and, and help build the future of our country? I mean, this is not dystopian. This is hopeful. Yeah, that's a great question, and I think that um, it's a it's a good thing for us to seek uh, the welfare of the city in which we've found ourselves. Right to to reference Jeremiah there, and so it is good for us to care about America. That means we should seek some degree of earthly commonality with all of the fellow citizens who call themselves Americans. Lots of Christians and lots of non Christians as well, and lots of Christians in different denominations and traditions. So, what holds us together as Americans? I think, first of all, um, it's got to be the American creed, the the ideals of the Constitution and the Declaration, uh, above all. But it's not just the creed. I think there's something very inspiring about American history. You could say it is the story of the creed. It's the story of how we've strived um, to live up to the principles of our creed over the centuries, always imperfectly, but getting better across the generations. And if we look at that, and and C.S. Lewis has a great passage about this in uh, his book, The Four Loves, about how we should cultivate an attitude towards our country's past, an attitude of uh, gratitude that we get to be part of this story, um, an attitude of respect towards our country's heroes without falling into idol worship, without falling into a kind of a cult of personality, recognizing that they've done great things for us that we benefit from today and that we want to do even better and correct for their mistakes. That means that as we cultivate that sense of American history, we should be aware of our, our sins, our national failings. I think it'd be great if we had something kind of like a Truth and Reconciliation Commission to get all the dirty laundry in the air, publicly acknowledge it, maybe have a national day of mourning of some sort. That will make our celebration of America all the truer for having acknowledged our very real mistakes as well. That might be the beginning of what it looks like for us to really come together as Americans. So that's like um, having Fat Tuesday before Lent. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's a little um, bit the reverse, but right, you're, I mean, like it, when we talk about having like a like Thanksgiving day, 
which sure. I feel like is maybe even greater than the 4th of July. I feel like Thanksgiving is somehow this national acknowledgement of um, of not just prosperity, but that's a part of it and um, and where we are and how we got here. And to acknowledge that not everybody came here on the same boat, but everybody's in the same boat now. Like there's a I think a uh, I think a morning in anticipation of that on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving might be a healthy uh, a healthy conversation to have. Yeah, that, that's one way of thinking of it. Um, I really love the fact that we now have a new national holiday in Juneteenth, which is a celebration of the emancipation of enslaved people after the Civil War. It acknowledges, you know, slavery but it acknowledges our triumph in getting in ending slavery. That's a really good capture of how to cultivate that appreciation of American uh, history that acknowledges the bad and the good together. So I love it that we, we can celebrate that all as Americans now. Um, so lots of different ways we could do this, but there's a couple of ideas. So good. I love that. All right. For more, because there's a lot more in, um, in Paul's new book, I want you to uh, grab a copy and read Religion, The Religion of American Greatness, What's Wrong with Christian Nationalism. If you want to enter the drawing for the copies we have available, you know how to do that. Just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, I love what you're doing, and I love how you're doing it, and I personally appreciate you. Um, and so thank you very much for what you're doing. You have helped me understand ordered liberty over time in the conversations that you have brought to the fore about what's happening around the world. Um, and so thank you for this more um, sort of local part of the conversation. Um, I feel like that, uh, you know, so much of what you have done over the course of time has been focused elsewhere in terms of uh, foreign countries and foreign relationships and ordered liberty in other places. And so thank you for helping us, helping us see ourselves um, as a part of that as well. Really, really helpful. I, I thank you so much for the kind words. I really appreciate it. And, and I hope to spend a bit more time looking homeward as I've got now two more books to write in this series. This is actually volume one of a trilogy where I'm going to write another book on the left and then another book on ordered liberty, as you say, as you say. Oh, and, fantastic. And yeah. So uh, that'll be five years out, but uh, I'm happy <laughs> to share that. And again, thank you so much for the kind words. I really appreciate our conversations. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, you guys can listen to um, Paul have awkward conversations on his podcast. That's the name of it. Awkward conversations. Dr. Paul David Miller, Paul D. Miller is who you're looking for. You can find him at Georgetown. You can find him on Twitter. You can find him at pauldavidmiller.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Okay, for those of you who are wondering, would um, would Paul D. Miller want to see the Ten Commandments taken down off of courthouses? No. Would he want prayer removed from public spaces? No. Um, he's definitely a religious liberty guy. What he's helping us see um, is the way in which we tend to imagine that um, that all of those prayers are going to be expressly Christian, um, or that all of the people who uh, are going to be um, participating in in the the full expression of the freedom of religion in the United States of America are going to be doing so with the exaltation of Christ. That's just not the world we live in, and it never has been. Um, and so, yes, are Christians free to pray? Absolutely. Um, do we have the expectation that everyone is praying in the name of Jesus with us? 
We do not because we recognize we live um, in an ordered liberty where people are genuinely free to believe or not believe and to not be compelled by the government to believe um, in one uh, particular way. I don't want to be forced by the government to believe or express something contrary to my sincerely held religious beliefs, and therefore I must defend the freedom of others to do likewise. That's really what uh, the book is all about. I think you'll love it. Um, Thank you so much for a great day here together. Love meeting with you in this time. I'll be praying for you today. You'll be praying for me. The Lord bless you and keep you. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.